But here, right is supposed to matter. It's what's made us the greatest nation on earth. No constitution can protect us. Right doesn't matter anymore. And you know, you can't trust this president do what's right for this country. You can trust he will do what's right for Donald Trump. Welcome to episode 22 of How We Win. All over the country, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to jump in and make a difference right now. You know the best antidote to anxiety is action. 2020 is here and we need you to join the party. On today's episode, we discuss the Iowa caucuses with Iowa Representative Cindy Axney. She gives us a look at how the caucuses work, how they help other important races, and why Iowans are really ready for presidential (laughs) candidates to get out of town. (laughs) Then we're going to give you some tips for setting up your own personal fundraising pages so you can start raising money to help vote out these vulnerable and feckless Republican senators now. Hello, Joni Erst of (laughs) Iowa. Hello. (laughs) I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How We Win. Iowa caucuses are this next Monday evening, and I'm really interested to see how this discussion today informs and influences the Iowa caucus voters, those Democratic caucus goers. Will they be supporting Vice President Biden at this point? Goodbye, Joni Ernst. She said out loud the thing that they were not supposed to say out loud, that dragging Biden through all of this is just trying to, right. you know, knock him down as a presidential candidate. I mean, that's... I mean, the goal. I'm like, they just, they just say, <laughs> well said. They say the things <laughs> that you're not supposed to say. Um, this is along the lines of, of Mick Mulvaney being like, "Yo, this happens. Get over it, people." Like. But you know what? It's making voters' jobs a lot easier now, isn't it? When you don't have to wonder about people's motivations, you know, there you go. Yeah. Well, it's full steam ahead. Uh, We have a couple of things to talk about. And um, first of all, Adam Schiff was freaking amazing. Oh, he was great. He was so compelling. The Republicans are complicit mm-hmm. partners in this cover-up right now. Right. And I expect McConnell and the Republicans to shut this down, to continue to shut it down as, as, as soon as they possibly can. Sure. Yeah. They're wrapping up very quickly, very um, tight, short, lie-filled mm-hmm presentation by oh my god by by trump's lawyers they're gonna have um, to replace all the pictures of hypocrisy in dictionaries now yeah i you know all of this feels very much like like a real bad episode of game of thrones where you know that these folks are thinking long term even you know we even have to try to figure out like what bolton's John Bolton's motivations are. We have to take a look at like what and try to figure out like what is driving him. Like, there's obviously personal profit for him to gain yes. from having this book come out and everybody's talking about it already. But there, there's, there's more to it than that. 
What's behind Bolton? That's a good question. <laughs> what makes to, that man tick? But the same questions have to come up for, you know, Mitt Romney and the senators mm-hmm. who are hinting that they might vote to allow witness more right. ad- like additional witness testimony. It's not only, hey, this is the right thing to do. We know that it is. So There's I have some else there. I have some thoughts on this. Yeah. That I'd like to share. <laughs> um, first of all, we hear on the news a lot about how um, terrified these senators are of Trump, mm-hmm. and uh, and how important it is to them that they don't get primaried. How mm-hmm. important it is that they hold on to the support, and they're afraid of his little twitchy tweeting thumbs, <laughs> um, and how that could come back to um, damage them. And, right, but. It goes way, way beyond that. And and this is why uh, Adam Schiff's incredibly heartfelt, compelling statement about standing up in this moment of history will fall on these feckless and deaf ears mm-hmm. because they really are partners in this. And if you look at Mitch McConnell and what he has done over the years in the Senate, mm-hmm. this goes way beyond Trump. Right. And in many, many ways, a case can be made that Taking the Senate is more important than replacing Donald Trump in the presidency. Mm First of all, McConnell, he has the hashtag Moscow Mitch for a reason. It's not just because it pisses him off. Right. There's been pictures of other senators like Mike Braun, who was pictured with Lav Parnas. Um, You know, he says that Rudy Giuliani just came to a campaign thing and that they were taking pictures together and that he doesn't really know them. seems like a lot of people have a lot of pictures with Lev Parnas who don't know this guy, right? Yeah, I will (laughs) say, Lev Parnas seems like that one Facebook friend you have that doesn't work in the entertainment industry or in (laughs) politics, but has a picture with everybody, he's showing up in pictures everywhere, which means that he's been everywhere, which means that he's been talking to a lot of people and they've been talking to him. So for people who are listening, if you're listening to this and the Senate has not yet voted on allowing more witnesses and documents to be part of this trial, please call your senator and encourage them to vote in favor of that. That's really important. It really, really is. They need to hear from you um, and uh, call your senators, uh, your Democratic senators too, Mm -hmm. and and thank them and encourage them to hold that line and to continue pushing for witnesses and documents. All right. And um, and there will be mobilization events around the final vote. Uh, right now, it looks like that uh, vote will be on Friday and then, you know, whenever the final vote is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we will let you know what we hear, but keep your eyes peeled for um, mobilization uh, events around that. Yeah. Um, another thing that's, that obviously is coming up that we are really like all eyes are going to be on Iowa soon. Mm-hmm. And while Trump is not... Um, up for debate in Iowa right now. We're going to see which Democrats come out on top. And let's see who in the public is paying attention and and how they're perceiving the information that's being um, shoveled at them. Yeah. Well, I think uh, most of our Democratic voters are actually pretty pretty smart. You Mm -hmm. know, they pay attention. Iowan voters, as we uh, hear from Representative Cindy Axney later, mm-hmm. are really uh, plugged in. They, yeah. they really pay attention because it's it's kind of part of the fabric of their lives there on these caucuses. Yeah, this is a really cool interview. If you are not in Iowa, then it's going to give you an inside look at all of the information and, and 
organizing and meetings that Iowans get to be a part of as um, the first folks to to vote in the country. It was also fascinating to hear just how how the caucuses break down. Everyone's going to enjoy hearing about that. But Mm -hmm. Mariah, the primaries are like here. They're here. Yeah. Yeah, Iowa on Monday, Uh less than a week. And then um, New Hampshire right after that. Right. um, Early voting is about to start in uh, states across the country. So people are, I think there is, I think people are already casting ballots in some places, actually. Yeah. They're not going to be counted yet. Um, But yeah, it's here. We get to move away from these polls and see actual results. Yeah. If you were waiting to get involved... Oh, dear. You don't have much time. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. So what do you think? What do you think about how how is your feeling on the ground about the primaries right now? Well, so it's interesting. I mean, like we always talk about this. The presidential sucks all the air out of the room. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it mobilizes people to, you know, they're like, since I'm here voting, I might as well vote down ballot. By the way, vote your entire ballot, please. Please do. And well, (laughs) so this is a really good point, though, because if you're disappointed with the candidate who makes it through the primary, You don't have to give them money, and you don't have to volunteer with them. Take that money and uh, and take your volunteer resources right. and volunteer for a Senate campaign or for a local legislature. Mm-hmm. And those down-ballot races pay dividends up the ballot. Right. It doesn't always work the other way around. Right. That's a good, that's a good point. And I think that people are going to have to, in the coming weeks, um, sort of reckon with what we've talked about um, on, on this show before, which is like, you know, the people I was rooting for are all, some of them are going to be on the ballot, but they're all out of the race. And so, <laughs> but, you know, you you feel like a little bit of a loss, but you also have to keep your eye on the bigger picture. Yeah. And we get asked a lot about how contentious things feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we started out as as a party. We started all this out really strong. Things are getting tough right now. And there is a little bit more polarization that we've been seeing, I, I would say, in the in the last few weeks, month mm-hmm. or so. And I think that's because people are passionate about what's happening. People are um, hurting about what's happening. But I'm trying to think of a diplomatic way of saying <laughs> things. Like, it's not just about you. Yeah. Like, put your big girl panties on and, <laughs> you know, and – Go all out for your candidate as long as they're in the race. And if they continue to be in the race, continue to go all out. And if they're not in the race, then don't attack the people who are still left in the race. Right. Put your like put that amazing energy that you have to to get used down the ballot. Right. So uh, that's a really good point. I, I, I'm feeling the same thing. There is a lot more contention. I will say the media blows it way up. Yeah. Also, those hashtags and things that come out and these Twitter feuds, all that, mm-hmm. are, hey, guys, just a reminder, these are fueled by bots, by Russian interferers. I mean, be clear-eyed about who is amplifying these messages and then don't further amplify them yourselves because it it doesn't help anybody. Yeah, I saw on Twitter this week, in fact, an influencer who is a big supporter 
of one of the presidential candidates who was spreading incredibly false information to a very large audience. And you have to appreciate that this person is passionate and was outraged by something that was not true. Mm -hmm. But but also, like that's doing a lot of damage for your candidate because now you're not being honest and you're a, an extension of that candidate. Um, and also you're getting a lot of people really amped up about something and it's not, right. and it, it, you know, spreading misinformation is, is harmful in all of this as well. It's, it's really what we were, are talking about when we talk about how Russia interfered in the last election, and, last presidential election. Yeah, that's exactly right. And spreading misinformation and splitting us apart is exactly how they win. Mm -hmm. That is literally the playbook that will put Donald Trump back in the office. Divide and conquer. That's how the Republicans do it. So um, let's be really clear-eyed and intentional about how we talk about our candidates. Know that we're going to vote blue no matter who makes it through the primary, but you don't have to – if it's not the candidate that you're in love with, please put your time and passion in the Senate. Man, we have to take back the Senate. There is a lot of really important things that we can do if we have the Senate back, and that's the harder push, you guys. That's where we really need more volunteers, more money, more energy. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is that I've seen a couple of people that I know who are on social media talking about the cowardly, bootlicking you know, um, Democratic shills who are saying things like unify or die. And the idea that we have any other option is so completely outrageous. Come on, mm. grow the f up. You, you want to put on a yellow vest and burn down Milwaukee because your candidate doesn't make it through? Like, come on. And I'll say, I'll tell you, hey, the Democratic Party set all this up. They fucked up in 2016 by being unfair and now everybody's losing their mind about it but what you're not gonna do is talk about burn like come on i'm so i got them getting all worked up again i came and i told you i was calm <laughs> and not all fired up as i was last week and now i'm getting there again all right i have to but admit anyway. i like fired up mariah first <sighs> of all and um you're right, and and the the unif like oh, unify or die. I, I get that um, there are people who are feel disenfranchised by the unify or die slogan hmm. and by that, and I respect that and understand that to a certain extent. But we all know what the stakes are, and um, usually the people who are um, purists um, and have like. It's this issue, or I cannot vote for this person. They are generally in a position of privilege to be able to have that opinion. Mm. Um, just continue to think about uh, the people who are affected by this administration the most. The kids who are being separated from their families, the families who are being imprisoned at the border. Now the Supreme Court has just ruled that um, right. the Trump administration can go ahead with their uh, are immigrants going to be a burden on our system threshold on whether we accept um, asylum right. seekers um, right. into our country. Do we think 
that you're going to be that you're too poor to come here basically right. is, what, is what they're saying right these these people don't have the luxury to debate about what our democratic nominee uh, who our democratic nominee is going to be and what their policies are going to be so you know let's acknowledge that we all basically agree on the same things that we're fighting for that we want and and where we disagree is the best way to get there and that's a healthy disagreement to have because that's going to make all of our ideas stronger yeah Okay, so to-do list. We talked about calling your senator no matter what side of the aisle they're on. Yes, please continue to do that. And we talked about how important it's going to be to uh, flip the Senate. Yes, today this call to action is since our episodes on Iowa and since Joni Ernst has given us so many good feelings mm-hmm. this week. Um, Thanks, Senator Ernst. Yeah, let's uh, let's show her how much money we can raise for Iowa. Let's donate to the Iowa Super State Fund. Um, we'll have a link on our show page, but also you can go to swingleft.org slash funds and find it right there. Donate to the Senate Fund. And who does that money go to? It goes to whoever the eventual nominee is. So yeah. Swing Left doesn't get involved in the primaries. Mm-hmm. But once we have uh, a candidate there, all that money will go there. And early fundraising, we know how important that money is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes a big difference. So that's your call to action. And after the interview, we're going to talk about the the funds we have and how you can put together your own fundraiser. Like this, You don't have to donate all of your oh, own money. Fun. You can do your own fundraiser. Oh, cool. And we have really cool pages that make it easy for you to do that. Oh, that's helpful because I don't have any money. So Yeah. But I have friends that I can ask for money. Right, right. Great. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> let's get going with the interview. There's no doubt that early voting states play an outsized role in selecting the Democratic nominee. But what goes on behind the scenes? How does the Iowa caucus even work? And what do voters in New Hampshire really care about? Your Primary Playlist is a podcast that's unpacking all of this in its new mini-season dedicated to understanding what goes on in the early battleground states. Host Emily Tish Sussman, who is a friend of Swing Left's and a friend of ours, speaks with women who are elected officials and political experts to learn how specific issues are playing out in the states that will choose the Democratic frontrunner. It's a really she's, – she's awesome. She's really smart. She worked with us a lot last cycle, and her podcast is really, really good. So listen to your primary playlist and see how Iowa, Nevada, South Carolina, and New Hampshire will help select the Democratic nominee this presidential election. If you want to dig more into the horse race, your primary playlist is the way to do it. Subscribe to your primary playlist wherever you get your podcasts. Cindy Axney is a small business owner, parent, and community activist, and now a congresswoman from Iowa's 3rd District. She is, of course, one of our newest representatives that were elected in our blue wave midterms in 2018. Congresswoman Axney, thank you so much for being here and talking to us. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So you were a um, community activist before you ran for office. Can you talk a little bit about your first experiences as an activist? Absolutely. Well, you know, I did spend a decade in state government serving 
uh, under both Democrat and Republican governors overseeing uh, multiple capacities like strategy at the state, working with every state agency. Uh, my goal is to always find better ways to get things done. And so when I think about my own community, I look in my backyard to see what needs to be, what, what, what work needs to be done. One of the very first things that I was able to uh, help with was getting all-day kindergarten in one of our biggest school districts in uh, the state. Uh, when I found out that half the kids literally lost a lottery, Steve, and got an inferior education. They got two and a half hours compared to the all-day kindergarten that the other kids got. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to get busy. I didn't think that that was right for our community. Uh, I certainly knew that working uh, families like mine needed to ensure that kids had all-day kindergarten. Um, and it's not fair and equitable to have half of the kids in a district receive that opportunity and the other half not. So I, you know, advocated for a year uh, working with the administration, working with the school board, working with the teachers, uh, you know, to make sure that we gave this opportunity to everybody, combating what I would say a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, hurdles, because people will find every single opportunity, you know, to to kind of stick with the norm. Well, that wasn't going to happen. This had to be made. This change had to be made. Um, And so I continued to push for it, found other folks who were engaged uh, with it as well. And I think that the power of all of us working together led to the ability to get all-day kindergarten for the West Des Moines School District, one of the biggest in the state. That is such an impressive accomplishment. How did it feel to win that first victory? And did you know at that point that you were going to run for office at some point? Uh, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, I didn't that I was working at, at the state when I was fighting for this, and so I continued to stay uh, in my position at the at the state. I did not think about running for office whatsoever. You know, it was a precursor to me running for office. It was just one of those things when I took a step back and de- and decided to really think about what what did I want to do. You know, I said to myself, listen. Uh, I've been out there fighting for the, the tough things. I've got the experience uh, within government to understand how it functions. Uh, why am I holding myself back? Let's get at this thing. There's, you know, uh, there's plenty of folks who've been elected to office who haven't even fought for one darn thing. I spend my life standing up for uh, good things for the people in our community, and this is, a, this is a job that allows me to do that for an even larger group of people. Well, and I can attest to how much time you spend. We were talking right before we got started about um, all the town halls that you have as a, a now representative and uh, how little time you <laughs> how little free time you have. What's, what's your day-to-day look like now that you're a congresswoman? Uh, so it's, it's a very busy week, and the day-to-day is always, uh, you know, really uh, up for grabs. Uh, so, for instance, this morning uh, I've been at caucus. I was just uh, in the affordable housing hearing. Um, I'll be going back there after this interview. Um, but in between then, I was talking with folks about renewable fuels waivers that are happening that are hurting our agriculture industry. So I, I went and did a press uh, release on that. I'll be going back to the Affordable Housing Committee after this. Then I'll be going to uh, a few meetings. Uh, and later on, I'm going to be actually addressing uh, working with some of my colleagues on uh, corruption in Congress. And so one thing that a lot of us new members want to make sure that happens, folks, isn't it's not just all about policy. We need to make sure that we've got good policy in place. But without the right structures and resources in place to support those, and if we have a Congress that, um, that isn't acting ethically, and if we've got opportunity to take some of the corruption out of the system, that needs to be done so that we can better implement that policy and make sure that it gets to the outcomes that people in this country need.
Mm-hmm. And so you've been in Congress for just about a year now. Is it what you imagined it would be like? And do things on the inside feel as divisive as they look <laughs> like from the outside? Uh, first answer is no. Uh, and the second answer is absolutely yes. Um, okay. You know, so this is, uh, listen, this is unfortunately uh, a time in our country where it's it's just so divisive. You know, I thought, my goodness, we'll come out here. I know that we're going to be in the majority, uh, but there's got to be some great, you know, some other folks on the other side of the aisle who are going to get behind some of these really good bills that improve people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised that we're not able to get there. You know, one of my bills that I'm uh, trying to get out of uh, financial services, which we passed out, and we're moving that forward into law, is to ensure that uh, businesses report where their jobs are in this country and where they're located out of this country. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a big ask. I had a lot of pushback from my Republican colleagues on that. That's where I've been really surprised at the lack of ability to work with other people on really common sense solutions. And, it, you know, I hope that we get to a point where we're, we can move back to a place where we can start getting things done. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's probably been some of the biggest, that's been one of the biggest issues that I've been confronted with here. I would say there's been a lot of positive movement on my end. I've been able to move forward, I believe, all of my amendments through voice vote last year, which is almost impossible uh, to get done. It means they were uh, put together in such a way that we could get general support. Yeah, that's great to hear. It's, it is tough from the outside looking at what seems like common sense uh, issues we should all agree on shouldn't you know, be mm-hmm. a partisan issue at all just get blocked. So, um, well, you mentioned a a lot of the great stuff that you're doing for your home state of Iowa. Um, All eyes are on Iowa right now. There's been a lot of energy there for a long time. And Iowa is also one of Swing Left's newest super states because they have obviously important presidential, Senate races and state house races, not to mention protecting (laughs) our great new reps in the house, right? Um, Have Iowans been able to turn the attention and energy from the presidential primary into change down the ballot and on other issues? Uh, Absolutely. And first and foremost, a big shout out to all my swing left supporters. Thank you so much uh, for all that you do to help folks like me and Abby Finkenauer make history in Iowa and become the first two women uh, to represent our state and two, two Democrats. Um, (laughs) I know, I know we're all happy about that. Uh, Listen, you know, the the presidential race does a lot of really good things. I'll be honest, we need them to get out of town at this point. (laughs) 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 They've been there a heck of a long time. We don't get a break in Iowa, literally. And we have not had a break, I don't think, in a political ad since I started running for my race. I mean, that's how bad it is in Iowa. So once in a while, we need a break. Uh, But, you know, it does bring a lot of opportunity to Iowa. Um, and certainly it helps us uh, engage people in, uh, in, in, the, in the process. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things about our caucus process is it's very community-driven. You're in there with your, with your neighbors. You're, you see who they're getting behind. You have an opportunity to try and move them into your camp, so to speak, to get the person elected that you think is going to do the best of the job. And it really allows for great conversation. We're very different from many other states uh, when it comes to that. And I think it's what sets Iowa apart. 
we're an incredibly thoughtful state when it comes to this. Can you break down exactly how the, because the caucuses are such a unique process to many people. Can you uh, dig a little deeper and break down how that works? Sure, sure. So we, so we have, uh, you know, over 1,600 precincts in Iowa are holding uh, caucuses, and we have satellite caucus locations as well, and even some that are international to make sure we can uh, have folks participate. So uh, the breakdown really looks like this. First, we do some introductory business. We might hear from the state party chair, some local elected officials, um, you know, and certainly from uh, the permanent chair and secretary at that caucus. And then, then we move into what's called presidential preference. Um, so imagine a, a, a room just chock full of people, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, uh, you know, multiple folks running for president. Um, we will divide into sections of the room and go stand there. If you're going to caucus for Biden, you're standing in one corner. If you're going to caucus for Bernie, you're standing in another corner, et cetera, et cetera. And then what happens is you've got to get uh, 15% of the attendees uh, to be viable. So if you don't have a group that's over 15% of the total, you're not a viable group. What that means then is that anybody who was in one of those groups that wasn't viable, those people are up for grabs to go join another campaign. And so then it turns into a real interesting situation. I like to joke around that my single neighbor really likes it because he has women fighting over for him when, you know, to get him over to another group. Um, so so it, it really is about talking to your neighbor, asking them what their concerns are, finding out, you know, what, you know, and and describing to them, here's where our candidate stands, and we think that he'd be a really good fit for you, or she'd be a really good fit for you, and then having, hopefully having those folks move into another group um, uh, so that they can either create viability, um, let's say if you're in a non-viable group, but you're close, and there's a group that's a real low viability, you might pull from there and then be able to create viability for somebody who didn't make the top group. But then for others, you know, it's to pull into those top groups um, and give them even more support so they walk away uh, as, as the preferred group and the delegates are war- awarded to that. So it's all about getting your delegates. It's about getting as high a percentage as you can. It's pulling folks out of groups so that you can reach those requirements. Um, and it's a really uh, fun and interesting look at how we uh, support our democracy in Iowa. It, it sounds fun. And the viability threshold thing is really interesting to me because it seems like it really forces candidates to um, to work hard to be a second or a third choice, too, even if they're not someone's first choice because they might win their uh, their caucus vote, you know, in the end. Right. That, that's exactly right. And so you, you don't have to come. It's nice to come out number one in Iowa, mm-hmm. but you, but the candidates also know that just get yourself up in the top tier. And, you know, this could this combined with other early states could be what you need. So you're right. It isn't just about who's got the biggest group right there. It could be that, you know, helping the second and the third contenders really build some support moving into some of those other early states. Mm-hmm. So you literally vote with your feet, it sounds like. <laughs> um, True. <laughs> uh, so that's coming up very soon. Do you think it helps or hurts the candidates to have Iowa be the first to, to weigh in? Be honest. I know you're biased. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I will always say that it, it helps to have Iowa first. And here's why. I know that there's been pushback against folks saying, well, they're not as diverse as other, some, other states. That's true. I'm not going to say we are. 
What we are is incredibly thoughtful about how we go through this process. Mm. This is a very serious situation for Iowans. Um, I see all the time people say, you know, they have met with every single presidential contender, and they they go out of their way for a year, essentially, to, to attend events with all of them, to personally ask them questions, then to, you know, talk with their friends and family about what their thoughts are. Uh, and so, you know, this is, uh, I think Iowa is in the place where they should be, because I really don't think anybody would take it as seriously as our state when you kind of just go in and, you know, and place a vote in a ballot box. Mm. You know, when you have to go in and explain your answer to your neighbors, um, you've got a little bit more responsibility. Uh, and, and that, I think, shows in the effort that people put into selecting a candidate in Iowa. Interesting. And you probably, I don't know that there's any other state that gets more, you know, opportunity for FaceTime with these presidential candidates than than Iowa does. Yeah. Certainly not California. Yeah, for God's sake, no. Um, And, you know, some folks will say, you know, there are some people that say, well, my goodness, those Iowans uh, are are demanding. Well, you know, it is what it is. And when we're baking cinnamon rolls um, in a house and Cory Booker's spending the night there and, and somebody's making homemade cinnamon rolls, Folks expect that you're going to be able to talk to people. That's how close we are. Uh, and so, you know, we've got to, uh, you know, the Iowans are just, that's how they roll. Um, Iowa politics are local politics. I mean, I won my race because I held 160 meet and greet events between my, in my primary and general. I was out there across the board. And that's what Iowans expect. They expect you to be out there listening to them and then taking those ideas and actually turning them into policy to help their lives. And so, yeah, we are we are a little bit demanding with people's time, um, but I think it's for a good reason. And I think it does set a really good framework for people across this country to get a good understanding about multiple candidates that might not have an opportunity. You know, there's folks that are getting more opportunity now because they're doing well in Iowa. Um, that may not have because they weren't names going in. And so, you know, I think that that makes a big difference in why Iowa is always good at caucusing. Um, Turning to your district now, the third district, you represent a swing district. And last year you voted to impeach Donald Trump. Can you talk to us about how you made that decision and what the response at home has been since, since then? Uh, so I, I take this uh, job and, our, and certainly our Constitution and our Republic uh, very seriously. Uh, obviously, coming from Iowa, it, it, it's a purple state. To your point, I flipped the red seat blue in a Trump district, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and you know, it was a very, very tight win. Um, do I have to consider uh, my constituents' issues uh, in my votes? Absolutely. But when it comes to protecting our Constitution and when it comes to upholding the country that we have in place. No one is above the law. And my job was to assess the information that came out of the impeachment uh, inquiries um, and, you know, look at that from the perspective of, you know, long term uh, for our for our state and for our country, never from a political position. I'm not in this job, uh, you know, to decide things from a political position to keep me here. I never expected that I would run for Congress and I'm here to solve problems not for political posturing. Uh, And so for me, I took a look at the facts. The facts were very evident. The president self-admitted that he had uh, conspired with the Ukraine. His chief of staff uh, supported that. Mm -hmm. And then we had testimony by patriots from this country who said the exact same thing. 
The facts were there. My job is to uphold the Constitution. I will never shy away from that, even if it means I lose a seat. And I don't think I will, because my job is to also work hard for the people in the district, and I'm delivering for them. Well, uh, on behalf of myself and Mariah and every single person listening to this podcast, unless there's some trolls out there, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for doing that. You know, it is... uh, it is a a dark, weird time for a lot of people, and you know you we spoke earlier about how divisive the Congress is, and um, we have now it's 2020. There's a lot of excitement, but for a lot of people, the election is getting even more real now that we're in the election year. What gives you the most hope for the future in this you know seemingly dark time? Really a a revised sense of involvement from uh, citizens across this country. We saw it in the uh, 2018 uh, midterm election, and we're going to see it now. Uh, All reports show in my district a massive uptick in folks coming out to uh, caucus. Um, they're signing up in droves uh, ahead of time. Uh, more folks, we're, we, we have almost a double the amount of folks attending pre-meetings for caucuses to make sure that we've got uh, appropriate structure for them. We think we're going to oh. see a huge outpouring of people attending, and it really is because people are fired up and ready to go. You know, we've seen, um, unfortunately, since this president took office, an increased number of groups who deal with civil rights, social justice, environmental issues, all because this administration is doing so much uh, to roll back uh, those great opportunities that we've been able to move forward uh, in the previous administration, and they're trying to move those things away from us um, and, and take away opportunity for people in this country. People are realizing that. They're stepping up. They're forming new groups, and they're the folks who are going to come out and caucus. They're the folks who are going to change this election, and they're also the folks that are going to keep me in office and elect other Democrats who are going to look out for them put more money in their pockets, protect their pre-existing conditions, and lower the cost of prescription drugs. They know we're serious about this, and they know that it's impacting their families at this point. I literally had a town hall the other day, uh, and somebody asked me about the ACA ruling, and I asked folks in the room, who knows somebody or has a pre-existing condition? Every single hand was raised. Mm -hmm. These are massive uh, issues for our country, and they know Democrats are going to be the winning side for them uh, you know, when it comes to these issues that literally help their families. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot of uh, people turn out. They're fired up and they're ready to go. Well, uh, that is so exciting to hear. And I can't wait to see um, what the turnout for the caucuses is. Um, it sounds like a fun time. So I, I hope you enjoy uh, chatting with your neighbors about the candidates. And thank you for stepping out of committee to talk to us. I know you have a busy day. So So busy. (laughs) We're so honored that you could squeeze out some time to talk to us, and we really appreciate it. Well, I'm grateful for all you do. Uh, Thank you for keeping uh, the the democracy alive and making sure that we continue to support folks who want to stay out here and make lives better for people. So thanks for all you do. So we want to raise money for the Iowa Senate, don't mm-hmm. we? Yeah, yeah, we do. That would be um, that would be good to get rid of uh, Senator Ernst, who's yapping about manipulating things to get rid of Joe Biden. Right. I'm going to take you guys really quick through fundraising pages on our swingleft.org website. I'm really excited about 
the website because it makes it really easy for anybody who's never done a fundraiser or hasn't doesn't have any experience to just jump in and create their own page. Mm -hmm. It also makes it easy because there are like FEC regulations and reporting that needs to happen. Right. So when you set up this page, it's all through ActBlue. You get all the reporting information, all that stuff right there so you don't have to worry about it. It makes it really simple. So go to swingleft.org slash funds. And uh, you'll see a list of our candidate funds that are available to raise money for. We have a Flippable States Fund, the Senate Fund, which is what you're going to do this week, our Unify or Die Fund for the presidential nominee, our National Impact Fund, which uh, includes a number of races, and it's where you can donate money, and it will go to wherever needs it the most. Mm -hmm. But right now, we're going to raise money for the Senate, so... You can either just donate directly, there's a Donate Now button, mm -hmm. or you can start fundraising. Just click on the Start Fundraising button, and you're on your way. Just fill out the form. That's all you have to do. Oh, that's so easy. Yeah. And you can make a big difference. You can. And different groups have, have done this like as part of a group. Individuals do it themselves and just mm -hmm. sending out to their friends. Let's uh, flip Iowa, you guys. I love it. Let's flip Iowa. Let's flip the Senate. Here's what I'll say is I think that people get really intimidated by fundraising. They get scared of, of asking friends and family for money. And I get that. But I always find that if you approach it by thinking about why you're involved and what you're passionate about and then share that with other people, it makes them feel so good. Mm. They're happy to give. And you don't have to ask them for a lot. Um, what we've seen in the last, you know, four, eight, Year, odd years is that small grassroots donations are making the biggest difference in elections up and down the ballot. Mm -hmm. So asking somebody to give 10 or $20 feels doable for a lot of people and it makes a huge difference and it's going to make them feel so good to be part of um, this incredible change that, that we're creating around the country. So don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Just tell people why you're involved, why you love Swing Left or the Senate or, I mean, talk about what we talk about every week, which is what inspires you, mm -hmm. what gives you hope. Yeah. And then let people be a part of that. And I have a lot of hope that we're going to be able to come together and uh, and flip the Senate, take back the White House. I I know we can do it. We just need you. We need everyone to, to help out to make sure that we we do this. I'm inspired. Send me your fundraising link. Okay, let's do one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today and for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. Do you have questions or topics that you would like to discuss? Want to share your own story? Send us an email to podcast at swingleft.org. Thank you, subscribers. If mm -hmm. you're not one yet, please subscribe and rate us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Thanks to all of you who share and promote our show, including our friends at Demcast. Please continue to help us build this megaphone for the resistance. Use hashtag HowWeWin2020. Share our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer mm -hmm. and fundraise. And fundraise. We really appreciate you being here with us and are excited to bring you more from the field next Wednesday. MSW.